Genesis chapter 22. going to read the first 14 verses. This is a familiar account. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 22, it says, It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder, and worship, and come again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God. Seest thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Kind of this message tonight, proving our faith, proving our faith. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to be assembled together tonight. Thank you for uh, the privilege that we have to meet and fellowship and enjoy time together around the Word of God and sing praises unto thy glorious name. Father, I pray as we look into the word of God tonight, we again be encouraged and strengthened in our walk with you and strengthened in our faith in the more sure word of prophecy. So glorify thyself, have your will and your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think about this, you might call it a monumental episode in the life of the patriarch Abraham. This would be considered, I believe, a supreme test by God. You know, the Bible says that God did tempt. Now, unless you misunderstand, James tells us that God does not tempt any man to sin. 
The word tempt here means to try, to prove. We find it also uh, spoken of, for example, in Exodus chapter 14, or I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 16 and verse 4. <coughs> Excuse me. Exodus 16 verse 4. It says, Then the Lord said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them. In other words, that I may try them. Or, it's the same, same Hebrew word, tempt, to try, to test, whether they will walk my law or not. So the test was, will they just go out and get enough for the day? He told him you're to go get a rate for every day, just enough for a day. And so it was a test. Of course, there were some that you know, didn't listen. Um, again, in Exodus, or, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy chapter 8, we see another example of this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, and verse 2. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness, to humble thee and to, and here's our word, prove thee. To know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. So the 40 years were to prove Israel, to test them. Whether they would keep God's word or not. Some of us are slow to learn, aren't we? It takes 40 years. Uh, Verse 16 again, Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And of course in Judges chapter 2, Judges chapter 2 again, verse 22, uh, he says that through them, well, verse, let's, I'll read verse 21 also, it says, I also will not henceforth drive out from before thee before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died, that through them I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. So we see example after example in the Bible where God is testing our faith. He's testing our faith. Uh and of course, we we remind ourselves of you know that Abraham has been working in, or I'm sorry, that God has been working in Abraham's life for forty to fifty years now. And of course, God continues to work in our lives. You, you know, the school of the Christian life is never over until we get to be with the Lord. Uh, He's constantly working our lives. And, and so the test is whether we will keep his word or no. Uh, we know that God's word says he will never leave us nor forsake us. So we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Of course, Timothy tells us in 2 Timothy 2.13, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. And of course, you know, we see as examples of the Bible, you know, we could we can we could beat ourselves up when we fail. And it is sin. But we must remember that we are but flesh, that God understands we're but flesh. I'm not saying we have excuses. 
But look at the Bible examples. You know, we talk about we talk about the great men of the Bible. But examine closely Abraham's life. Egypt twice, or Egypt, and then down to, to the Philistines and the Philistines. In Egypt, he got Hagar, and then instead of waiting on God, he goes into Hagar at suggestion of Sarah. Uh, so there were ups and downs. There were times that Abraham walked God. But, but the point is, and I was making this point to, to the, to the uh, um, I'm a senior moment here, to the Dentons. You know, that, that Bible people, Bible characters, were not perfect. They failed just like we do, but they always came back to God. Confessing. You know, Abraham always came back to the Lord and built, every time he came back to land, you know what he did? He built an altar. He built an altar under the Lord. He worshipped the Lord. And so we're we, we going to find in our Christian life, we are going to be constantly challenged or tested. And sometimes those tests can be severe. Think about Job's trials. Now, you know, a lot of people ask, why did Job have to go through all that? Well, one thing he did, one thing that, that one thing that we see as a result of, of that trial of Job is he silenced the devil and he silenced the enemies of God. And he proved that God will, or man will serve God without special favors. <laughs> and so, so and, and you know, the other thought is that a person that's never challenged will not grow. If you're not challenged, you'll never grow. That's what school is. We call it education. You're constantly challenged. Your brain is being challenged to go further and further, to learn more and more. Uh, no one wants to remain the same. So the storms and trials of life are, and they are given, of course, to conform us. Roman, you know, and of course, this is a very familiar verse, but Romans 8 says, All things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, them he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. See, God works all things, the good and the bad, together to conform us into the image of Christ, to make us more Christ-like. He wrote, Paul wrote to the church at Philippi and says, He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to continue to work in your life to perform that which pleases Him in your life. And that process is one of trials and tests. That's why James says, Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Yippee! Count it all joy, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience, and patience, oh, so on and so forth. So, as we think about this, proving our faith, let's look at the example of Abraham. I want to notice three things about him how, in his response to this test. So the Lord did tempt Abraham, and Abraham said, Behold, 
here am I. First of all, he had a hearing ear. Now, when I say a hearing ear, I'm not just talking about this little thing that's on the side of your head. I'm talking about a heart that's willing to listen to the voice of the Lord. Because many have ears, but don't hear. In other words, they have ears, but they don't listen. Do you ever talk to your child? And then you say, you're not listening to me. Maybe you don't have any like that, you know. Um, but, you know, they heard you, but they didn't really hear you. You parents all know what I mean. Of course, your kids do too. Uh, no, he had an open heart to the voice of God. He was receptive. He was willing to be taught or instructed by the Lord. It's not, he was not of the, of the, the mindset, I've got my mind made up, don't confuse me with the facts. You know, sometimes you talk to people and you might as well just forget it because they've already got their mind made up of what they're going to do. You know, sometimes people come to, come, come to, to, to me as a pastor and, and they ask me about certain things and they already got their mind made up what they're going to do. They just want me to say it's okay. They just want me to say it's okay. Now, we're talking about someone who's open to the voice of the Lord. Look at Matthew chapter 13. Of course, Jesus spoke much about the Pharisees, and they're hearing, but they're not hearing. In Matthew chapter 13, and Jesus used a phrase over and over again, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. But Matthew 13, verse 9, it says, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you in the know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them it is not given. Whosoever hath, to him shall be given, he shall have more in abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not. Neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross. So here's, here's where they didn't hear, it's in their heart. Their heart is waxed gross, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see and your ears, for they hear. You know, when, when they had Jesus on trial, and they asked him, tell us plainly, art thou the Christ? And he said, thou sayest it. And you know what they said? Thou speakest blasphemy. I thought they wanted to know. No, they didn't want to know. You know, the Pharisees saw all the same miracles the disciples saw. Many of the same ones. They knew about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. They knew about it. But instead of sitting back and say, hmm, what must this mean? They said, you know what? We've got to kill Lazarus too. That was their response. We've got to kill Lazarus too. We can't let this go on. 
No, Abraham had an ear to hear. He was willing to listen to the voice of the Lord. Look at look at Second Chronicles chapter twenty five. Second Chronicles chapter twenty five. <clears throat> you know, a closed ear is a recipe for destruction. Second Chronicles chapter twenty five, verse fourteen says. It came to pass, after that Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the children of Seir and set them up to be his gods and bowed down himself before them and burned incense unto them. Wherefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Amaziah, and he sent unto him a prophet which said unto him, Why hast thou sought after the gods of the people which could not deliver their own people out of thine hand? It came to pass, as he talked with him, that the king said unto him, How thou art made of the king's counsel? Forbear. Why shouldest thou be smitten? Then the prophet forbear and said, I know that God hath determined to destroy thee, because thou hast done this, and hast not hearkened unto my counsel. Notice verse 20. It says, But Amaziah would not hear, for it came of God that he might deliver him, them into the hand of their enemies, because they sought after the gods of Edom. The Amaziah closed his ears to the prophet. The prophet said, God will destroy thee. God will destroy thee. See, dull hearing leads to destruction. God wants us to hear. There's an interesting verse in John 17, or John 7, verse 17, and it says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. If any man will do his will, and it means the has a will to do. Has a will to, has a desire to do the will of God, you'll know. You know, Abraham here, he had a desire to, to do the will of God. Therefore he knew. He was listening to the voice of God. You know, we must listen to God on his terms. Too often, we want to hear from God, but we want it on our terms. You know what? That's really idolatry. That's really what that is. Idolatry. We're trying to make God into, into our likeness. We want Him to fit our little mold and His plan to fit our life. That's idolatry. We're making, we're making, we're trying to make God suit us and not us fit to the Lord. So we're making a God of our own image. And so we see, first of all, Abraham had a hearing ear, or we might say a hearing heart. Secondly, he had, a, he had an obeying walk. And of course, this, this follows that. Notice verse 3, it says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for a burnt offering, and rose up and went to the place which God had told him. See, he, he had an, uh, a walk. He was, he was obedient to do what to the Lord spoke to him up. Uh, God told him to go to a mountain that I will tell thee of. And so Abraham uh, obeys the Lord and heads to the mountain that the Lord would show him. 
know, when God reveals to us His will, we are to obey. And it's interesting to me, and this is the second time this has happened in Abraham's life. You remember when he left Ur of the Chaldees? He said, you leave and you go to a land that I will tell thee of. I will tell thee of. Of course, you know, Abraham was a man of wealth and tents. He was a sojourner. Um, so God really didn't tell him where he was going to end up when he left Ur of the Chaldees. He just gave him directions to which way to go. And notice here again, he says in verse 2, and he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee up. So when you get to Moriah, then I'll tell you which mountain. You know, this, this instructs us that we to obey the Lord with what we know right now. And not worry about Ten years from now. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to plan. But we must keep in mind, God may change those plans. We need to let God direct our plans. You know, James tells us in James chapter 4, we need to say, if God wills. If God wills. We'll do this and that. And so what the Lord is struggling you know, is that you know, we're to live for him, we're to do what we know is right, right now. Because so often we worry about what's going to happen five years from now. If, if, I, if I do this, what will happen to my kids five years from now? How about you let God take care of your kids five years from now and just obey him? He'll take care of them. He can take care of them better than you can. He loves them more than you do. Go to John, John chapter 16. John chapter 16. There's an interesting statement that Jesus made to the disciples just before he left them. <laughs> now, for, for some people, this is hard. For me, this is not hard because I'm not, I'm not a, a, an extended planner. Um. But for some that like to plan that life out, it's a little, it's a little difficult. But notice in John 16, verse 12, it says, I have, Jesus said, I have yet many things to say to you, unto you, but you cannot bear them now. In other words, you're not ready for them. Now, can you imagine if Jesus would have said to Peter, gave him his life, what his whole life was going to be like at one point. Imagine Jesus saying to Peter, Peter, you know, when I'm being tried, you're going to deny me three times. But don't worry about it. In 50 days from then, you'll be preaching and 3,000 people will get saved. What do you think that had done to Peter? Oh, boy. 
You know, Peter was already filled with himself, saying, you know, I, I don't care if everybody else is denying you, I will not deny you. I'll go with thee even unto death. You know, Peter needed humbled. Well, could you imagine uh, the Lord telling John, yeah, you're going to live out your days and you're not going to be martyred like everyone else is. You'll, you'll die a natural death, but in the meantime, you'll be boiled in oil during all that. Or banned to the Isle of Patmos. You know, I think probably John would have run as far away from the Isle of Patmos as he could. Aren't you glad God doesn't tell us what the future is? Because I'm afraid what we do is plan around it. <laughs> we plan around it. But see, we have a God who knows what the future is. He knows what's best for us. He knows what we can handle right And in Matthew chapter 6, he told his disciples, take no thought for tomorrow. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. You know, the disciples worry about, you know, it's, it's evident in that passage, the disciples worry about what they were going to eat, what they were going to drink, what they were going to wear. Because after all, they had left their fishing. They had left their tax collecting. And all they had was what Judas was carrying around with them in the bag. And, they, and I believe they had begun to question, I wonder if we're going to have enough to eat tomorrow. Or what about three months from now? What about my pension? And basically Jesus was saying to them, don't worry about all those things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those things will be added unto you. In other words, all those things will be taken care of in their own time. In their own time. Second thing here we see is that there was submission to the divine will. In verse 12, it says, and he said, lay not thine hand upon the child, upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. Uh, yeah, there was complete submission to God's will in this matter. God, Abraham did not withhold anything. Again, he says, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. It's not like he had another one to take his place. He was the only one he had. You know, this is an example of the great commandment in practice, and of course the great commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the great example of submission, which Isaac is a type of submission of our Lord Jesus Christ.
So we see here there was a hearing ear, there was an obeying walk. I want you to notice a third thing. There, there, we see here that an example of believing that God will supply our need. Now I want you to notice a couple verses here. Verse 5. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass. And notice this statement. And I and the lad will go yonder and worship and... Now, we could, I, you could say this. I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and I and the lad will come again. That's what, that's, that's what he's saying there. I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and I and the lad will come again. Again, in verse 8, Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So went both of them together. together. Now, did Abraham just assume that? Or did he have some basis for his conviction? His belief? He had some basis. Go to chapter 17. Go to chapter 17. And see, we, we need to have some basis for what we believe. We do. And that's the word of God. Chapter 17 says in verse 15, God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed, and said unto his, in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. And thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his seed after him. Then in chapter 18 again, in uh, verse 9, And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying, After I am waxed old shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh? Saying, Shall I have a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. You see, Abraham's, when he said, I, the lad, will go yonder and worship and return and come again. He believed what he said. And even though he put Isaac on that altar and was about to slay him, he believed Hebrews tells us that God was going to raise him back up from the dead. Because he believed that his God would keep his word. Because God said, Sarah indeed shall have a son. And you're going to call his name Isaac. And this is he. And I have given him to thee for an everlasting covenant.
and nations and kings could come from him. You see, Abraham's basis for what he said was the word of God. He believed it. And of course, Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 says that Abraham believed that God would raise him up from the dead as in a figure. You see, even the Old Testament patriarchs believed in the resurrection. Look at Job chapter 19. Now Job is considered the oldest book in the Bible. <clears throat> Many believe even before the time of Abraham. And Job believed in the resurrection. Job 19 verse 25 says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skins worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. I know that I'm going to see God, though this body is going to be destroyed. See, Job believed in a resurrection also. And Abraham here is, 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 is uh, uh, showing that he believed that God would raise him. See, the basis for the belief that God would supply himself a lamb was the word of God. The word of God. In fact, verse 14, verse 14, it says, And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And Jehovah-Jireh, the name Jehovah-Jireh means the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. You see, supplying our needs is God's work. It's his responsibility. Our responsibility is to obey him. First Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. In other words, if God commands or calls you or asks of you to do something, he's also promising to provide the means, the ability to do it. That doesn't mean there won't be trials and tests. Paul was called. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto have called them. Did they go through trials? Did they? Paul said, You know, in hunger and in thirst. He said, I, I know both how to abound and to suffer need. But then he said in chapter 4, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't in the, in the place of the need was so great that he died. So God did meet the need. But there were times when it appeared that he was in want. God tried his faith. So... 
you know, we see here that God, we must believe that God will supply our need. Abraham believed God based upon his word. You know, Peter tells us we have a sh- more sure word of prophecy where, do, where to we do well we take heed as a light that shineth in a dark place. And we prove our faith by what we do. Go to James chapter 2. I mentioned this last night. Of course, Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Um, in James chapter 2, <coughs> James uses Abraham as an illustration of proving one's faith. James 2 verse 14, What doth it profit my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith, and hath not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, and be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding, give them not those things which are needful for the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the Faith Hall of Fame. And every one of them it says, By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Abraham went out, not knowing whether he went. You see, his works proved, their works proved their faith. It proved they believed God. And so we prove our faith by what we do, not by what we say. The world's full of people that say they're Christians. They say they're Christians, but their works by their works, they deny him. You know, Jesus said to some that follow him, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? And so we see here an example of Abraham. He proved. Proved he had genuine faith in the Lord. Could your faith be proved? Does your life show it? Do others around you see evidence of that faith in your life? You know, Matthew 7 also says, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. You know, I, I know what an apple tree is, but what it, by the fruit it bears. I also know what a bread for the pear is. I call them blooming. People call them flowering pear trees. I call them blooming ain't worth a blooming thing. If I'm going to have a pear tree, I want pears on it. I want something I can eat. They don't bear any fruit. 
the fake. They're just all show. Don't be a blooming pear. <laughs> be real. Might God help us to prove our faith to our lost and dying world. They're looking for reality in God's people. May they see it in us. Let's pray.